Good morning. It is so wonderful to see you. Yeah. It is so great to be back at Rivercross. Even though we're all looking a little bit older, we look wonderful. It's fantastic. I really fell in love with this church when I was on staff here. I love the people. I love your heart. I love your mission. I love what God is doing in your midst today to make you family from all different cultures and ethnicities and income brackets and age brackets and genders and making you love one another. I love this heart your church has for its neighbors, whether it's in the Crescent Valley or the North End or across St. John or in El Salvador too. And of course, I love your amazing staff team, Rob and Joe and John and Sandy and Amy and Jan and Marley and James and Rob Parent and just the whole team and how faithful they are to love you and see Jesus formed in you. Yeah. You've just got such a good thing going here, and it's so fun to come back and see. And so it's crazy to think it's been almost 10 years since I was part of the staff team here. And so coming back, it got me remembering some of my favorite memories. So can I just share two of my favorite memories with you today? The first one was a slime day we had with the youth back when we were still Main Street. And I have no idea why no one wanted to give me a hug that day. And one of my other favorite memories is the barbecues that you still have at the community mission at the Rivercross Mission down on Main Street. And there was one barbecue one year where we had a makeshift dunk tank. And I, some reason, got to be the person in the dunk tank. And bucket after bucket of cold water got dumped on me on that cool day. And just looking at that picture, I'm freezing all over again. But honestly, some of my favorite memories, especially in St. John, do have to do with water. I loved that I lived on the west side, close to the ocean. And one of my favorite things to do, especially after a big storm, was to go to St. Rest, Rest Beach, go to Irving Nature Park, and see the big waves, and see what destruction might have been caused by the latest storms. It's, I'm always amazed at the power of storms to move a rock or move a tree or, or take out that road to the nature park. But you know, the same is true in my life. When a storm starts brewing in my life, I'm amazing how quickly my life can go from smooth sailing to feeling knocked over and knocked out and it taking over all my thoughts and that storm consuming me. And so my prayer as we chat together today is whatever storm that you are facing in your life, that you'd bring it to Jesus, and that you would find Jesus in the middle of your storm, that God is there with you. And today, as we have this conversation, you would recognize afresh how he is with you in your storm. Because today, we're going to look at this guy in the Bible named Paul, who faced a lot of storms in his life. Let me introduce you a little more to this Paul. Paul, before he was known as Paul, was known as Saul. And he saw it as his mission to wipe out any of these people that were following this new way called the Jesus way. And so he went around murdering Christians. He was a terrorist until he powerfully met Jesus and Jesus turned his life completely around. 
giving hope to any of us that needs our life turned around. Well, this Paul, he was boldly preaching the gospel everywhere he went, and he seemed to get in trouble everywhere he went, and simply for telling people to follow this Jesus. And today, we're going to look at an encounter that happened in Acts 27, when we find Paul in trouble again. See, Paul, he has been in prison the last two years in Caesarea, and he's been pleading to get to go to Rome, because he's a Roman citizen and he wants to be tried in Rome. But he actually, he has an ulterior motive. He wants to get to Rome because he wants to get to the good news of Jesus to Rome. Because he knows if he gets the good news of Jesus to Rome, it will go from there to the world. Because Rome, in the ancient world, was really the center of the universe. All roads literally led to Rome. All the trade happened there. So if you got this message about the good news of how Jesus can turn around anyone's life to Rome, it would spread to the world. And so Paul gets what he's hoping for, and he gets put on a ship with a whole bunch of others headed for Rome, and there's 276 of them on board this boat when disaster strikes, and we pick it up today in our Bibles in Acts 27, verse 14. It says, Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it, and we were driven along by the storm. As we passed through the lee of a small island called Kada, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes underneath the ship itself to try to hold it together because they were afraid that we would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, you know that's a bad storm when even seasoned sailors give up all hope of being saved. Now, I would not have survived that storm. My parents live in this small little lobster fishing community in rural Nova Scotia, and so I actually have gone out on a lobster boat just a few times, and even when we're still in the safe harbor and the boat just starts doing this, I lose my lunch. I do not have sea legs. I would not have survived the storm. But Paul survives the storm, and in fact, when you look at Paul's life, he survived lots of storms in his life. He survived other storms at sea. He survived believers not trusting him at first because, you know, he used to kill their friends. He survived friends abandoning his team and his mission. He survived folks that he thought were solid and solid and following God, leaving to follow others. He survived beatings and persecutions and going it without food and water and imprisonment. Paul faced all kinds of storms. Paul knows about storms in life. And so how did Paul do it? How did he survive? And how about you? Have you ever faced a storm? Not just a nor'easter, but a storm in your life. Maybe you're facing some right now where something at work 
or something at school or something at home or something in a relationship just starts going sideways and the winds start blowing, how do we survive storms that come in our lives and what can we learn from Paul? Well, we're told that Paul and his friends face a storm that has a name. It's called a nor'easter. And us East Coasters, we know about nor'easters, right? Well, the Weather Network, it defines nor'easters as a warm mass and a cold mass colliding, where from the cold North Pole, a cold front comes, gets pulled down, and then from the warm Gulf Stream, a warm stream gets pulled up, and those two warm and cold air masses collide, creating violent winds and heavy precipitation, and we face those kind of storms. But you know all about different air masses colliding, creating storms in your life, don't you? You were just in a nor'easter last week in a meeting at work when a hot air mass and a cold air mass collided at different personalities mashed in that meeting. You were just in a nor'easter last week at home when a hot air mass and a cold air mass collided as you discussed the household budget or the kids' report card. You were just in a nor'easter last week when you discussed with your extended family how you were going to figure out plans for the summer and where you would go and where you'd sleep and who'd pay for what and just wait until someone brings up religion or politics. You know all about two air masses colliding and creating a storm, don't you? You've seen it in your life. And sometimes it feels... Like these storms just come out of nowhere, sailing along fine, and then all all of a sudden, this storm comes. And that's what it felt like to Paul and his friends. They were sailing along fine, headed for Rome, and in verse 20, it says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued to rage, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They became very desperate very quickly, and that can happen in our storms too. They can knock all the fight, all the motivation, all the hope out of you. And what do we do then? When the storms around you are getting so bad, you see your hope leaking out faster even than the water that's coming in. And I don't know about you, but the first question I often ask when a storm comes is, where did the storm come from? Who caused the storm? Was it from God? Was it from something I did? Was it, was it Satan? Was it just circumstances and, and our planet groaning? Where did this storm come from? And you know, I think often we waste a lot of time thinking about that. And we could think about it until we're the blue in our face. And sometimes we just don't know. But regardless of where your storm came from, God is still with you in the storm. Regardless of the cause of your nor'easter, God is with you in the storm. And storms, when they come, and especially multiple storms collide, they really can take us out of life, can't they? They can really sidetrack us. Or, if we let them, if we let God take control, we give it to God and invite God to use the storm, God can be our life jacket in the storm. God can make us swim in the storm. Don't give in to the storm. Swim, cling to God and see what he wants to do. 
And so today we're going to look at four specific things we can do when we face storms in our lives by using this story with Paul as an allegory. So first, God can use the storm to teach us, to refine us. Look at verse 30. It says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboats down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and left it, let it drift away. They cut their lifeboats. Who does that in a storm? Someone that trusts a higher power, that's who. They cut their lifeboats. And God can use storms to help us get rid of lifeboats that we've been clinging to, that we're supposed to be letting go. That it's time to cut those things away from our life. In a storm, we can get focus on clarity on what really matters in life. Things like life and loved ones, and God, and time with those that we really care about. It's actually not about how nice our ship is that's now breaking apart in the storm. And you know, we all have our little lifeboats that we each tend to hold on to and cling to even more when the storms come. And the storms, we tend to run to those lifeboats. What do you tend to run and do in a storm? You know, for me, it's often venting to someone venting to Joe, my husband, again and again until he says, enough! <laughs> venting instead of turning it to prayer or turning it to action. Sometimes it's complaining about our storm, telling our story again and again and staying stuck as a victim. Sometimes it's spending more to try to ignore our storm. Sometimes it's spending more time at home to avoid a storm at work or spend more time at work to avoid a storm at home. Or sometimes our lifeboats are just to try to make ourselves feel a little bit better in the middle of our storm, to numb us out or help us escape, whether it's numbing out on Netflix or it's video games, or a bottle, or gambling, or comfort food, or overworking, or sleeping all the time, or looking for something else to buy from Amazon. Most of us run to our lifeboats more and more and more when the storms come. And God might be saying to you, cut it. Cut that lifeboat. Cut that lifeboat and face the storm head on, because Jesus says, I am with you in the storm, and I am in charge of the storm. God says to us through the prophet Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. We don't need our lifeboats. We've got God who does not let us go in the middle of the storm, who does not let us be knocked out. We can cut the lifeboat because God is enough. And so what lifeboat do you need to cut so that you can cling to God, cling to Jesus in the storm? So number one is God can use storms to teach us and refine us, especially what lifeboats to cut. And number two, God can meet us in the storms in holy communion. Let's pick it up again at verse 33. It says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. 
Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread. He gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And I want you to notice something interesting about verse 35 that we just read. It's Luke writing this in the book of Acts. And Luke writes, after he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks in front of God, in front of them all. Then he broke it and he gave it to them to eat. And Luke, who is writing this about what's happening with Paul on the boat, also wrote the book of Luke. And if you look at Luke twenty-two nineteen, that's when Jesus is having the last supper with his 12 closest, the 12 disciples. And it describes it this way as Luke's writing it. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so some Bible scholars think Luke's writing was very intentional. Because in the Greek, the wording and the order of the wording is exactly the same. That he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them to eat. And so Luke is actually on this boat with Paul, and he's breaking bread, having holy communion, remembering together that Jesus is the one who died for them and is with them in this moment. Now, I must tell you, other scholars think that's going too far, and it was just an ordinary meal on the boat. But here's the thing. Maybe 274 of them were just having an ordinary more meal, but Luke and Paul were having holy communion with Jesus. And that can happen to us amongst our ordinary days, even when we're facing a storm. That can happen here on a Sunday morning during worship. Maybe everyone else is half awake mumbling the words to the worship song, but you're having a holy moment with Jesus. It can happen on a hike where you're hiking along and the kids are asking how much further and the husband is asking when's the next snack break and you turn a corner and you see a beautiful sky and a beautiful tree that you feel was just painted there just for you and this peace comes over you and you have a moment with Jesus it can happen in the middle of a difficult work meeting where everyone is arguing about the way forward and a solution to this problem. And right there in that work meeting, just this idea comes into your head that you know is not from you and a peace comes into your heart and you're having a holy moment with Jesus where everyone else is just in an ordinary work meeting. And it's so beautiful when this happens, especially in the middle of our storms. It's so beautiful when Jesus meets us in this holy communion. And so as we cut the lifeboats and we fix our eyes on Jesus, watch for Jesus, because he will. He'll meet you in those moments of holy communion, and it's so beautiful. When we read what happened in the shipwreck, it tells us that after this moment of communion, they were all encouraged and they ate some more food. Something changed on that boat in that moment. It wasn't that their circumstances changed. They were still in a really difficult situation. But something changed in their hearts. And they were all encouraged by God and by Paul in that moment. So one, God can use storms to teach us and refine us. Two, God can meet us in beautiful communion in the storm. And three, God can use storms to give us a brand new, fresh start. 
as we trust God, even when we're in difficult storms, we can trust him even when our boat is breaking apart, that he's going to build us a brand new boat, a fresh start. And God can even use storms to guide us to new places that we never would have gotten to without that storm. Look what happens on the other side of the storm for Paul and his companions on that ship. Their boat was blown to this brand new place. We pick it up in Acts 28. It says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul, he shook that snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. Well, this storm ended up blowing them to this island of Malta that they never would have gotten to otherwise. And it meant that this good news that Paul was sharing about Jesus and how Jesus can change any of our lives even got to this island of Malta, where today Christians continue to multiply. And you can even visit today Paul's shipwrecked church in Malta. So after Paul had been through this storm and this snake attaches to his hand, It can't hurt him at all. A little venom couldn't do anything to him. And that's what can happen. Storms can make us so strong that next time a storm comes, you're like, whatever. It's just a little wind. I've seen it before. You're so anchored on the rock of Christ, it's not going to blow you about anymore. That's what happened to Paul. He went through so many storms, it brought him to this secure, beautiful place where he was no longer worried about what he was going to eat or money or snakes or what other people thought of him or what his captors or his bosses thought of him and what might even happen to him in Rome. He wasn't even worried if he might die in Rome. Paul had been through enough storms to be secure in the anchor of Christ. So secure, so resolved, he even says, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't even matter if beatings or deaths await me. I'm secure in Christ. I belong to him, and I know no matter what, I'm going to be okay. And I've seen that happen too. I've been through a few storms, big and small, in my life, and they've blown me to a beautiful place. Not the beautiful island of Malta, but this beautiful place where my identity in Christ is secure. And so other storms may come, Satan may come, things may try to knock me out, but I am secure in Christ. They won't take me out because I'm firm on the rock of Jesus. And I'm even having Holy Communion with Jesus in the middle of my storm. I know no matter what, 
I'm a child of the Most High King and loved lavishly by God. And so like Paul, God can use your storms that when you get to the other side of the storm, new storms may come. Snakes and Satan and circumstances may try to bite you, but there's no longer any venom for you. The storm has lost all its power to destroy you because you, you are solid on the rock of Christ. Your identity in Christ as a child of the Most High King is stronger than any storm that may come in life. And I know sometimes our storms are even caused by ourselves, caused by our own mistakes, our own disasters, our own poor choices. But even then, our God of second chances and third chances and 68 plus chances is there, is secure to rebuild your life on the rock where the venom of even your own mistakes can't get you anymore, where God is rebuilding your life on the rock of Jesus. And you're not going back to your old ship anymore. That ship is destroyed more than Paul's boat. And so you're not going back there. Let the old ship go and let Jesus rebuild your life afresh and new. It even uses this analogy for us in Matthew 7. It tells us, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, said Jesus, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Storms can force us to rebuild, to make a fresh start, this time on the rock of Jesus. And fourth and finally, God can make you an agent of peace in the storm. In the ancient world, there was all these stories that were circulating where the main storyline was one person causing trouble for a boatload of people because they were disobedient or had angered their god or gods. We see this kind of storyline in the Old Testament story of Jonah, where Jonah is disobeying God, he's running away from God, and he causes a whole lot of trouble for everyone else on the boat with him until they throw him overboard and he's swallowed by a whale. So these kind of stories were circulating in the ancient world. But when we look at Paul, Paul and his companions on the boat, at first they thought, oh, Paul, he's the one that's causing trouble for all the rest of us. But look at what happens at the end. When their boat runs aground, it tells us, verse 42, the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone, everyone reached land safely. So the exact opposite of what happened to Jonah and in all those other stories circulating happens here. Instead of one person causing trouble for all the others, one person who loves God saves all the others. 
One person who is obedient to God brings favor and blessing to everyone else on the ship, and they're all saved. Paul becomes the agent of peace in this storm. And as you read the full story in Acts 27, you'll see there was numerous times throughout the storm where Paul was this calming agent, this voice of wisdom, this agent of peace. Friends, what if God planted you there? God planted you in the middle of the storm you're thinking of today to be his agent of peace in the storm. Are you an agent of peace Have you seen yourself that way, placed there as an agent of peace? Have you thought of it that way, rather than complaining about the storms around us in our world right now, at your work right now, in your city right now, in your home right now? God wants you to be the agent of peace. What if we're the complainer in the storm when we're supposed to be the agent of peace? That one hits home for me. What if we're the fit thrower in the storm when we're supposed to be the one that brings favor to the whole group? What if we're the sulker in the storm when we're supposed to be the one inviting others into holy communion to God's peace in the middle of the storm? Because friends, it just takes one. It just takes one and you can change the whole environment in the middle of the storm by deciding you will be the agent of God's peace in that situation. It just takes one, the power of one life. In Revelation 3.20, it's this letter written to the church, the body of Christ. And in it, Jesus says to us, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, any one person hears my voice, and opens that door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. It just takes one. So if any of you are in the storm, you can be the one to open the door and say, Jesus, I invite you into the storm. Jesus, I invite you to meet us in holy communion so I might be the agent of peace in the middle of this situation. And God honors that. As you open the door, he will meet you in holy communion and give you everything that you need to be his agent of peace, to be at work in your boat. And I know when you're facing tough storms in life, it would be so easy to just give in and give up. Friends, cling to Jesus Cling to Jesus. Don't give in to the storm. Cling to Jesus because he is the one in the middle of the storm who can use it for his good, who can use it to teach us and refine us, who can meet us in deep communion in the storm, can give us a brand new fresh start and can make you an agent of peace. He is our God Almighty who is bigger than any storm. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord God Almighty and no storm is too big for you. And so God, today we bring our storms to you and we invite you in. God, I pray especially for those listening online and here today that are thinking of a storm they're facing in their own life. God, I pray that you would meet them 
right in the middle of that storm. Show them what lifeboats to cut so they can cling to you. Show them how you're meeting them in holy, deep communion. And God, transform the situation that they might become an agent of peace and have a fresh, fresh new start. God, thank you that you are our God in the middle of the storm and you never leave us. You never forsake us. Amen.